We are back this week with Edge of the Couch and here to remind you of our favorite practice management software, Jane. Jane has been helpful to both of us as we've grown and managed our private practices. With features like one-on-one telehealth, online booking, and payment processing, we love how easy it is to use and we think you'll love it too. Jane also has a community forum, a specific Jane online space where helpers are helping helpers. You might be wondering, what exactly is the community forum? It's a Facebook group for both current and potential Jane users to share tips, insights, and support each other as you build, run, and grow your small business. Jane's community forum is one place I can go to find helpful insights from other mental health practitioners and their experiences using Jane. I can find information on how other therapists are running their practices and have even reached out to a few of them. From there, I can hear how they use Jane in their day-to-day and learn a bit about their therapy approach too. Community is so important, especially once you exit school and enter private practice. While you might not have the immediacy of cohort friends or classmates anymore, Jane offers a point of connection centered around learning and growth. I personally like using the search function to see if anyone else has asked questions that I'm wondering about too, because odds are they have. I can search through other therapists' answers and comment on my own experience too. By doing this, other practitioners are helping me and I get to help them too. It's a win-win for everyone. So what are the benefits of joining the community forum? You can learn and share Jane's best practices, tips, and tricks. There are practitioners in this group who have been using Jane for years and know workflows and processes like the back of their hands and are more than willing to share their knowledge. You can also find and share helpful resources to help build and grow your business and practice. This could look like sharing your favorite charting templates, for example. Connect with the supportive community to share delightful moments. Stay up to date with all things Jane, including upcoming workshops and webinars and any software-related updates that are relevant to your practice. The Jane Community Forum really is what you make of it, so why not check it out? You can search jane.app community forum on Facebook and click to join and see what other Jane practitioners are talking about. You'll be asked to answer a few membership questions and review the group guidelines before joining. Don't forget, we have our Edge of the Couch one month grace period for you if you're ready to get started with Jane. Just make sure to mention the podcast when you sign up. You can head to jane.app slash mental health to learn more or connect with a member of their support team to ask any questions you have about Jane. And now on to the episode. This podcast is not training or supervision. This is an invitation to delve into these really big topics. When we are talking about clients, please know it is not you. It is a weaving together of stories that come up over and over again. With Edge of the Couch, we are here to create a space to delve into the topics that were either shied away from or dismissed because they were too big, too nuanced, too risky, or too uncomfortable to discuss in school or even supervision. We are two passionate therapists sharing our personal opinions about the therapeutic process. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Edge of the Couch. I'm Allison McCleary. And I'm Jordan Pakel. Today, we are talking about a very interesting paradox, which is that the only way to become a therapist is to be a therapist. Mm-hmm. Is that how we want to say that? I'm not sure what a better way to say no, it. No, I think that that's great. Yeah, I think okay. that if you're a student, you know exactly what we mean by that. <laughs> and the reason we wanted to talk about this is because we recently had our workshop and then we had a question from one of our participants about revealing, do you reveal to your first handful of clients that they are in fact your first handful of clients? Mm-hmm. And we had a really interesting conversation about it and we figured we should just do an episode about this. In hearing that question, I viscerally remember what it was like being in practicum and going into my first sessions and thinking, how how do I do this? I had my supervisor gave me a stack of 
intakes and said, okay, call these folks and set up for sessions. And I remember being like, how the hope? Yeah, what do I do? And yeah. so I wrote down like a script of what I was going to say over the phone. Yeah, I was terrified. Yeah, it's really scary at first. The first couple are really nerve wracking. I remember being so anxious about the clock. Mm. At the clock, I was just thinking, overthinking about that. I think, right? It's it's funny the small things that get in your head. Like I I remember one time really early on in my practicum experience, realizing that I had moved the tissue box off the table that was like between us, me and the mm-hmm. client, to somewhere else in the room, and like during session, pa- noticing and panicking <laughs> that the client was going to need tissue, and then I didn't have them at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are things now that like. I would just get up and grab the tissues. Of course. But when you're new, it feels like that's – you just don't know what's allowed and what's not allowed. Part of that, I think, is – we've mentioned this on the podcast multiple times, but solar. Just the idea <laughs> – like the sitting, open, leaning, eye contact, relaxed yeah. posture and that the hyper attention to the way that your body is coming across mm-hmm. totally plays into these first sessions where it's like, am I doing this right? Am I sitting right? Yeah. Am I – are my eyes how does my face look totally i i wonder if that resonates for you as listeners because that is so. that was so real for me in practicum and even just like thinking about this cuz you know obviously talking about this topic is like i'm flashing back to earlier experiences that i guess the only like first session i'm saying that in air quotes that i did before my real first session with the client was just when when we were paired with mm-hmm. like a classmate to pretend to be their therapist yeah so maybe you had acted it mm-hmm. one time or two times before. But really, like there isn't a lot of time spent like just practicing a first session. And when we did it, we were doing real quote unquote counseling with real issues. So you were yeah. supposed to bring, so it was a classmate, and you were supposed to bring yeah. like a real issue, but it was supposed to be like a three or a four out of your 10. And I think I don't think they do that. No, it's changed. In a lot of places, you don't have classmates doing counseling, real counseling with each other. And instead, they're doing made-up scenarios. They're pretending to be someone, yes. yeah. Which is way better because some real shit happens mm-hmm. happened in those pretend sessions yep. that people were ill-equipped to handle. Yeah. I mean, seeing clips of classmates, <laughs> friends counseling sessions. Oh my God. And then just going in and being their classmate or friend. Yeah. It's so bizarre. What a bizarre thing for them to have made us do. <laughs> anyway, all this to say, all this you're to say, really not ready for your first session. I guess I would say you are ready for your first right. session because that's what that's sort of where we're going is that you have to do it in order to be to a do therapist. It. Yeah. You just have to be thrown in and it's only in practice that you realize that you know how to do it. I don't know how else to say that. Yeah, it's such a funny thing because it really is that practicing to become a therapist, you're still someone's therapist. Those practicum clients, you are still a therapy experience for them that they will carry potentially for the rest of their lives. And so not to, not to freak anybody <laughs> out, but like your, your practicum clients think of you as their therapist. And oh. when you have never done therapy before and you sit down with someone and in their mind, you're their therapist, it feels so like this yeah. can't be true. Yeah. They absolutely see you as their therapist. Yeah. You can still help them through, you know, some intense, yeah. you know, some healing and totally. you can also cause harm, not to scare anyone, but it's true. Yeah. This crystallized for me when I had a client for the first time 
telling a story about a conversation that they had with someone and they referred to me as, oh, well, my therapist thinks that. Totally. And I remember thinking, they're referring oh, to is it, me. Are they talking about me? Yeah. I'm their therapist. <laughs> that I have yeah. become this figure in their life wow. when I just feel like a complete imposter. Yeah. You have to expect the imposter syndrome. I do think there's a little bit of like you have to step into being an imposter. There is a bit of faking it till you make it. The thing that you don't want to do, I don't think, is you don't want to go in so unsure that the client can like very much sense that you are feeling really unsure. There's a delicate balance in knowing that you want to learn and and expand, but also showing up in such a way that the client can still expect you to so hard you to be the one who's gonna hold the thing together and you're not gonna crumble i remember in my first sessions going home and being like my thighs are sore why are my thighs sore clenching clenching the entire time (laughs) and so yeah it's like uh i guess pretending on the outside to be calm cool collected while my thighs are (laughs) you know clenched as if getting ready to run there is a balance owning Mm -hmm. the fact that you're a student yeah don't pretend that you're not a student because that's part of informed consent yeah i think that there can be this really beautiful opportunity to say i'm a student and i'm learning learning. i have my skills my my education and that we're going to collaborate i would like to hear feedback from you because i mean for any therapist that you work with but particularly because i'm a student I would really love to hear how it's going for you and how some of the things that I bring into session land on you. Yeah, which when you're new is so scary. I mean, I'm also having to think about something that always felt just as an added layer, something that also felt additionally strange was that you had to also set up a video camera. I'm going to press record now. And like that's also – doesn't feel like real therapy in some ways because most of us when we're in private practice aren't recording ourselves. Mm -hmm. I I used to when I was in private practice. I actually am a huge believer in in like it's a great practice, but most people don't. So then there's this added layer of like, oh, this actually isn't how therapy normally is. Mm -hmm. And so when we're really scared of the feedback we're going to get, sometimes we don't seek it. But exactly. Yeah. The only way we get better is knowing what's mm-hmm. not working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> I also feel for you if you're listening and you have the type of I think Tyndall talked about this in her interview, but just the different setups for mm-hmm. supervision and that some supervisors will sit behind you while you're doing oh supervision or watch you from, you know, glass. a different room with glass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is so hard. I mean, that's to me, that's much, much harder than having a camera set up. Oh, just having flashbacks, which is like this sense of messing up when you're alone with a client and you can manage it yourself versus messing up in front of someone who is evaluating you is so horrible. I also just like hated the feedback that I got from supervisors. It felt like the feedback I was getting was like, you're not sitting in solar and mm-hmm. and it's stuff now that I've just like completely rejected. But at the time, it feels so much like you're actually being asked to not be yourself. To be present and attending to all of these micro yes. expressions yes. Um, and body language. And what theoretical orientation are you using in this session yeah. with this client? It's like, I don't know. I'm still learning how to just be with a person. In some schools, having to find a video clip where you're going back and forth a certain number of times and showing your skills. Theoretical orientation. Yes. Oh my God. And that is not, I mean, I hope that it's helpful to know that that's not how it is once you're out of practicum, like it's a very particular experience totally. Um, where you're having to put into skill, put skills into place that it's just not the same 
structure the same frame yeah. once you're out of practicum. And I do think that as you get further into practicum, you kind of start to let that go. Mm-hmm. You, you realize that you sink it's into, in you. It's, you know, it's been within you the, all along. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's cheesy, but I do think that's true. I agree. We're hoping that this is a reminder that when we're up in our heads so much because we're new, you know, before we go into session, perhaps just reminding ourselves that actually what matters more is just like connection mm-hmm. and authenticity and curiosity and really hearing to, un- you know, listening to understand our clients. And you can do that even if this is your second session or fifth session. Just like, I'm going to go in with curiosity mm-hmm. and I'm going to go in just really with a desire to know this person. It can shift sometimes the focus from I'm going to go in and do good therapy because what does that even mean? Yeah. And instead, I just want to I just want to really attend today and be aligned today. Yeah, what are your intentions going in? Because yeah. I also see new therapists with an agenda of yeah. you know, I want to make things happen and this idea of what progress looks like. Yeah. And so it's very much like, oh, this reminds me of that and connecting things for the client when, you know, that therapy is a much slower process that in school, when they talk about developing the trust, they I mean, that is how it is, yeah. that oh, yeah. it takes time and mm-hmm. that you're not going to be, at least in the type of therapy that we do, it's not this solution-focused way of working. That is a way of working as well. Yeah. We're remembering that when we were students, we knew, like we also know that you're being evaluated. You see clients for limited number of, of, of sessions. There is a, an expectation that you be articulating your therapy from a particular theoretical orientation. So all of this is said with the knowledge or wisdom that comes once you're out of it. But there are particular expectations on you when you're in practicum. It's okay to temporarily have to show up in a specific way, but that's not always how you're going to have to show up. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of have to right now to pass this course. Mm. I don't know. What do you think? I hope that you can find space within that frame. Totally to connect with what feels true for you, what feels authentic, what feels relational with the other person. Yeah. Because again, if we get too caught up in our heads about what the frame is, we can really lose sight of the relationship, I think. What I say all the time is like, hey, we're up here in the flowers, but I want to get to the roots. The flowers don't matter to me. And that's where we're up in content, right? We're up in like storytelling sure. and and that it's really easy as new therapists to get hooked into like, oh, and then what did you do? Or what did you say when mm-hmm. that person did that thing to you? And then we miss, like we're as the new as the new therapist, we're just missing all of that the stuff that's juicy and meaty. But I think that the only way you learn how to catch it is by missing it the first hundred times. I don't know. There's something in like you have to kind of do this surface therapy to realize that you don't want to do it like that anymore. Yeah. It's I think taking the pressure off for therapy to look any certain way Mm. because that imagined version of what a therapist is, I think, gets in our way of being present. So yeah, letting go of letting go of TV depictions of what oh therapy God. therapy yeah. is supposed to look like and what yeah. therapy progress looks like. Mm-hmm. And instead, really sinking into how do I connect with this person? And I think that depending on the site, you can also get lost in this person is diagnosed with this. This person sure. and you know, the way that your notes are set up. Like, mm. oh, they make you do this mental status exam. In my opinion, it can be really objectifying of clients depending on how you think about it and how you use those frames. Yeah. How do you connect with this person as a human and kind of, yes, know those pieces of biographical information and to have an eye for assessment and 
This is a person. And if you were to take any of your friends, any of your family members, and look to them through that lens of what their trauma is, what their diagnoses are, they also would seem like, I don't know, challenging cases rather than these whole human beings with life experiences that any of us have. It's really true. It's how do we see the person for all that they are. I mean, I did a really interesting training in the fall of 2021. Myrna Lashley, Dr. Myrna Lashley was the woman's name and she was talking about cultural competency. And she talked about how when you're working with clients, she's a psychiatrist. And so she said what she often finds is that psychiatrists go towards clients with the thing with the thought, what is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. And she says what we need to be doing is shifting to what has happened to you. What have you been through? And even just that as a therapist is a huge reframe. If we can step away from what's wrong with you, which is so problematic in so many ways because it plops us into the expert role and we're not experts. And it plops us into pathologizing things that maybe are just a normative response given sure. what's going on. But that we can step into the room going, I just want to know what you've been through. I would love to know the story of you versus like, what's wrong? What are your symptoms? Mm-hmm. Even though it's important to know symptomology as well. Ah, yeah. I, I hope that people are listening and that this is helpful to them to, to go like, how can I reframe when I step into the space? Mm-hmm. But I also want to know, and I think if I was a listener, I would want to know, Jordan, what are some of the things that happened to you or things that you bumped into as a new therapist? Small talk, like kind of swinging back and forth from doing this small surface talk and this person is, you know, maybe they're a captivating storyteller, even though I can feel that there are feelings underneath and I want to, and I'm curious about them. It was really hard for me to assert myself Mm. to actually ask those questions or to take more, take up more space and have more power in in the relationship. And then I would swing to the other side of maybe it's because of your childhood. Let's go there. And that's when I kind of worked up the courage to say something. And then it it can be really jarring to clients. Like that is not a trauma-informed way of working. So how do you find a way of traveling on this path with this client in kind of a sustainable not running ahead and not staying behind, but it is like, how do we find a pace with each other that feels right? Yeah. And that we're, when we're new therapists, we don't know. Again, I think we kind of test, like you're saying, you saw that pendulum swing and maybe that's just part of it. We have to mm. do the thing and then see how jarring it is for a client and go like, oh, that did not go well. I have made so many mistakes as a therapist. They're probably, you can't even count them all, but certainly as a new therapist in practicum, making a mistake to, you know, try to use the worksheet, you know, like, oh, now we're going to talk about, and I've told the story before that one of my sites was a very CBT focused supervisor and that her expectation was that I worked exclusively through a CBT lens. And so I'm there hearing story and I'm being like, oh, that sounds like deeply held belief. Can we challenge that? But you know, when I'm in this and then, oh, here's this worksheet. Did you, have you seen, these are the unhelpful thinking habits. Do you know these? You know, and it's like every single one of my clients, I explained the cognitive triangle and unhelpful thinking habits and challenging beliefs and core beliefs. And like you're wearing your lenses and Mm -hmm. it just, those are not bad skills. No, they're really good skills. They're great if they're integrated. Exactly. And not every client needs that in their second session, but every single one of my clients was getting that in their second session because I had no idea what else to do. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, this is nice. I've got a paper I can do. For sure. We can spend the whole 50 minutes just talking about these 12 unhelpful thinking habits. <sighs> totally. That's something <laughs> that I would get in my head about is like, how do I, I, I remember coming up with certain questions and being like, ooh, ooh, that was a good one. 
I'm going to use that with every client now. Yes. Oh, a new training? Yeah. And then every single one of my clients is getting that content for the next two weeks. Yes. Because so much of the practicum sites are set up and maintained by students, a lot of people who come to see a practicum therapist are people who really need therapy and have maybe been waiting a long time, don't have the funding to have gotten it before or to be able to pay for it. And so sometimes you are seeing people who have complex presentation or who have been waiting a long time for care. And then you're, you know, we talk about wait lists. Like yeah. sometimes clients have been on wait lists for months or years telling really big story. They are needing a lot of support. And you're a new little baby therapist. And you're like, ah, oh my gosh, I've just listened to five back-to-back trauma stories. And I'm still learning what the cognitive triangle is. Like that's hard. Yeah. In that case, I hope that you can rely on some really solid supervisors. In yeah. some ways, now being a supervisor, I'm like, oh, I, you know, I have my own supervision for my supervision. Supervisors aren't these all-knowing figures. And so I'm too figuring it out and having to pick things apart and going to supervision. I hope that in your sites, you have supervisors that are supportive or at least colleagues that are supportive yeah. because you cannot carry this by yourself. And so I think, again, there's this idea of therapists just knowing what they're doing and that they don't necessarily need help. But we all do whatever stage of your career that you're at, particularly if you're a new therapist, you do not need to do this alone. Yeah. Practicum therapists are seeing some of the highest acuity cases mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I imagine feeds into the imposter syndrome and the being thrown into it kind of thing. Like, what do I even yeah. do? Maybe the the folks that I'm seeing have very different life experiences than my own, Yeah, um, have extensive trauma histories that I haven't experienced. If you're going to graduate school, a lot of us have money privilege. And Mm. just the sense of stability to even get through to this point of graduate school, the distance that you feel with your clients can feel very big. Yeah. So how do you relate to people and how do you feel confident um, connecting on a human to human level and people that you might feel that you have little in common with? And that's something that I I always find so fascinating about therapy is you will always find something. You will find a thread of humanity that connects you to every single one of your clients. You will find a connection of just like there's something there and that we don't have to. I mean, there's permission to not have to share every like every part of our experiences don't have. That's what makes therapy so enjoyable and juicy is that um, you don't have that. I mean, I had a client the other day talking about money privilege stuff and I come from a very privileged background, but I didn't feel shame about it. Mm-hmm. And that I think that's big. Is like, I think when I was a new therapist, I almost felt bad about like that I'd had a pretty easy life and like I didn't have to stress about money. But you don't have to feel ashamed of the place that you're in, and it becomes it can become really interesting fodder for relational conversations with your clients. Maybe later on, <laughs> like <laughs> not very at the beginning, not, yeah. not in practicum, but just of like, huh, we've had different life experiences, and how is that for you? Mm-hmm. That like I I haven't had that experience. It came up recently. Maybe I already shared this story of um, clients will often say something to me like, "Well, all couples yell, right? Like mm. couples just yell at each other." Mm-hmm. And I being like, "Actually, my partner and I don't yell at yeah. each other. We're mm-hmm. not yelly people." And just having and just you know, kind of just sitting with that with the client of like, "It's okay." Yeah, like you get to decide what feels okay for you in your relationship. And I'm not judging you for yelling at your partner. Mm. Um, it's just not in every relationship. 
Yeah. And how do we get okay with like, okay, I can just own my thing. I don't have to feel weird about it. Yeah. Not trying to – it's that balance again. Not trying to collapse the differences of like, Mm -hmm. we're both the same. Yeah. And also not objectifying – because I think that's one of the things is objectifying clients as clients, them. Yes. Objectifying therapists as us. us and yeah. that mm-hmm. and not even us sometimes it's like this figure that i have to pretend to be when yeah. remember you're two human beings trying to have a relationship we can get in our heads about what it means again it's important like doing the skills and attending to power because that is there yeah and you're two human beings you're probably overthinking it yeah yeah there's a pretty good chance you are worrying about this more than the client is oh for sure a hundred percent. I can remember early on like thinking that clients must care that I don't know a lot, but they actually didn't really. No. <laughs> they just wanted someone to talk to yeah. and to feel supported by. And a lot of people, you're like the fifth student therapist they've seen mm-hmm. because they often go to you know places where there's funding available and free resources or low cost resources. So they've been through it before or you're their very first therapy experience, in which case- they don't even know what to expect no, yet. No, I used to say all the time to my new clients, oh, good, you've never been to therapy. Great. Then I can just make it up and you won't even know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not in practice, <laughs> I wouldn't say that. But, you know, like yeah. you can kind of joke like, okay, all this to say, you just got to get – you got to go through it to be a therapist. Mm-hmm. And my experience recently, having ter- you know, just this week terminated with the last of all of my clients, I have really facilitated so much change in these people's lives, which is – that's me patting myself on the back, but it's just really true. And I didn't even realize that's what I was kind of doing in real time. Do you know what I mean? Like there's something really powerful in because I had termination sessions, we were actually talking about what had happened between us and the change. Mm-hmm. When you're in practicum, you don't even know the impact you could be having yeah. because caring about someone and, and listening huge, to them huge, and huge. wanting to know them, that mm-hmm. is transformational. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we can just start there. Yeah. Like you said, so many people are coming to be heard. Yeah. And if a client is being really hard on you for the fact that you're learning, well, you don't know anything. That, that happened to I know, me too. Yeah, it's horrifying. And really taking that on at the time. Yeah. Of like, oh, no, I'm terrible. When it's like, how do you become a therapist? You have yeah. to have had experiences. And I can understand that maybe they want someone with more experience. And here we are with each other. Exactly. And, you know, the clients that we see in practicum are informed that we're students. And so we hope that that in some way shifts the expectation of like, oh, okay, maybe I shouldn't expect them to be able to solve all my problems in eight sessions. And when you bump into a client who does, that is really interesting. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't address it with my client. I tried, but um, he was just so mean to me. He wrote on my evaluation that I was stupid. I don't know how much of that is mine to own. Mm-hmm. And so we invite you to be in the balance of it. That's right. Own what is yours when you make a mistake because you inevitably will. And then own what you are good at because mm-hmm. inevitably you are good at some things. Yes. There are mistakes and there are things that are just like, it's not a good fit. I can't be a more experienced therapist. This is just who I am and where yeah. I am. <laughs> yeah. The fact that I'm not older has nothing to do with me. You can't change it. No. You want me to lie to you? Tell you I'm 30? Yeah. I'm only yeah. 22 here. Yeah. Hmm. I want to add to just talking about age. I had a client this week refer to me as someone in her 20s. So hmm. <laughs> that was great for me to take that to the bank. I wonder what that means about the relationship. 
Yeah. They what the what they actually said was, "Do you have any advice for people in their 20s?" Because here I'm terminating, mm-hmm. so my clients want to you know glean from me everything they possibly can before we're done. And then said, "Oh, I guess while well, you're still in your 20s." So, and I was like, "Do you think that I'm in my t-? like?" I totally I railroaded the conversation and made it about how I'm not in my 20s. Yeah. But what a lovely surprise. It's, I mean, good, I suppose, but yeah. sometimes being in your 20s is a bad thing well, that's for certain clients. Like the meaning that they make of your age has nothing to do with you. There is yeah. ageism. Yes. It's outside of you. Yes. It might speak to your your mistake making. And it's just a fact. And there's always going to be. So it's like if you're in your early 20s, then every, you know, then your clients are going to think, oh, you're too young. If you're in your 30s and you have clients who are 50s, they're going to think you're too young. Mm-hmm. If you're in your 40s and you're seeing clients in your 20s, they're going to think you're old grandma. Like it just doesn't matter at what age you are. There are going to be some clients who have a problem exactly. with it. Um, and so don't so. get caught up in that. And welcome the relational conversation. Yes. Like if a client brings it up, be like, yeah, let's talk about this. How is that for you to be seeing a 22-year-old student? And you're here talking about this really kind of adult thing that is happening to you. <laughs> Let's just be in this together. Which I think loops us back to the beginning exactly. of the question around, do you disclose to clients that these are your first sessions? Jordan? I mean, I... Um, <laughs> we answered this question we, we answered in, this, with our workshop. Yeah, yeah we answered this question in the workshop. And my sense is really owning the fact that you're a student and just be in that. Acknowledge that. I don't think you need to go out of your way to say, you're my first client. You might say it upon termination to be like, and it was a good relationship. And they're talking about everything they got out of it. And then you say, I have a special place Mm -hmm. for you in my heart because you're actually one of the first people that I worked with. Or my very first client. My very first client. I think it doesn't feel too vulnerable to say. Yeah. And I think that there's a space to honor the detail of that. But in the beginning, I would be owning where I'm at. It gives you opportunity to to ask for feedback. It gives you an opportunity to have that relational conversation of like, I have this experience. I have this knowledge, this education. I am learning. I'm in practicum. So I'm at the very beginning of my career. How was that for you to be coming to see me for therapy? I also think being a student therapist gives you more space to ask for time to think about things. And by that, Mm. I mean saying something like, wow, that's a really great question. Let me speak to my supervisor about it and I can get back to you, which when you're in private practice, you can't be like, oh. I mean, what I would do is just be like, I need to sit and think about it. But I think when you're in private practice, there is more of an expectation that you know things and clients expect you to have answers. And when you're a student, at least there's space to be like, well, you know, I'm new at this. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to go and seek out that answer for you. Yeah. It requires humility. There's got to be some level of confidence in owning the fact that you are where you were at in your development as a therapist. It takes so much courage to acknowledge where you're actually at. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is that balance of humility and courage and confidence. Yeah. Taking the leap. And just knowing that you're going to stumble and some days are going to feel you're going to leave going like, wow, that was good. And then there should be some ways where you go like, I have no idea what I just did. For sure. I'm not even sure how I got through that. And we said this before, but we'll say it again. I think clients are very forgiving. Yeah. Especially when they know you're a student. Clients, they will watch you fumble, 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 and they will be fine with it. Yeah. And, you know, apologizing if we have made a mistake is great, but also just letting yourself be a little not great at it yet. Clients are generally pretty okay. I also think the expectations that we have versus what they have. I'm going to give the sage wisdom to clients and <laughs> yeah. be super articulate about these life answers. And it's like, that's not what therapy is. That's not what clients expect 
of yeah, you or want from you. Yes. Yeah. It can have the opposite effect of like, you don't know. <laughs> don't tell me. Yeah. You're 22. Don't tell me how to live my life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, isn't that so funny? I mean, this is something that came up a lot for me when I was learning to administer assessments. So a bit different. My supervisor was saying to me like, Allison, the clients don't know how the assessment goes. They've never mm-hmm. done this before. So if you make a mistake, the worst thing that you can do is then go like, oh my God, I'm making a mistake because the client doesn't know. So if you just keep smiling and it, you make it seem like that's where you naturally you're meant to be taking a pause to read the booklet, Mm -hmm. they will be none the wiser. And so I think there's a bit of that in therapy too, which is like, if we just sit in silence and we're making like calm, pensive face, the client doesn't know that you are scrambling to figure out something to say. Mm -hmm. They might just think you're giving them space to think. Yes. (laughs) And you know, you're scrambling. We know you're probably scrambling because we're a therapist. Mm -hmm. The clients don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Scramble away. Yeah. It's hard though. I know. It's so hard. I know that feeling, that feeling so exposed and all right, here I am calling my first client. Here I am wel- welcoming them in. Here I am doing the informed consent, trying to get to know each other. And how do I end the session? All of these kind of micro moments, uh-huh. the minutiae of doing a counseling mm-hmm. session, you're going to have a lot of firsts. A lot of like, firsts. You have firsts. to. That's yeah. how you get through it is like the first time I have a client and no then shows. it'll be over. Like, yep. Yeah, it will. You will get through it, and the the, the very first session will end, Mm -hmm. and that person will leave, and they'll think of you as their therapist. So it is like getting through. And then this wonderful thing will happen where it will be so it will feel so awkward to do the consent thing, and then one day it just won't, and you'll just be like, "That was the smoothest." consent, informed consent conversation I've had so far. And then you will get to a place before you finish practicum where doing your informed consent doesn't even feel like a thing anymore. And it was a thing that took up so much space. So it can happen very quickly. We're in it and it's so big. And then all of a sudden it's just different. And then we're on to the next thing to worry about. For sure. That's one of the most beautiful things that I found as being a supervisor of practicum students is being able to witness that shift from being terrified. Mm, Yeah. Um, the imposter syndrome and the just the not knowing to confidence. Yeah. All of a sudden, this is where you are now and all of those worries have melted away. Yeah, in a way that you don't necessarily recognize as it's happening. No. Which is kind of like progress in therapy. You turn yeah. around and here I am, a therapist, and I don't worry about the same things that I used to. I just think about the people who are listening who are maybe haven't seen their first client yet. Because I I just think about when I was starting to see clients, I don't know if I was listening to podcasts then. I don't think that you was really a thing. A thing. No, but not a thing I remember doing as much thinking and, and research that I could about how do I phrase things and, you know, just kind of psyching myself up. And we have such different processes, Jordan. Yeah. Even then, even then we had such different processes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And I think that people listening, I hope that this helps you. You have to do it to do it. And that's not to be dismissive. I hope that this conversation really backs you up and it's really hard. And these are the ways that you can do it. You can navigate it. But it is true that in order to be a therapist, you have to be a therapist. (laughs) It's great. I think about it even the parallel of the podcast, right? We have these workshops and people leave and they really believe what we're telling them. (laughs) Yeah, we know stuff. And we talked about that at some point. We were like, people listen to what we say and like put stock in it, which was new to us, I think, at that point. A hundred percent. And we've really stepped into it. And um, I think we, I hope, have that same humility, but that there's still that ownership. Oh, we actually know some things. We do have some experiences that we have to share. 
the only way we got here was through all of that. And so who knows, seven years from now, eight years from now, in fact, I know it, you will feel as confident in your abilities as we do in ours and that you'll also be able to see, I think in the way that we both can, like, huh, this is an area where I'd love to see myself growing and improving and learning. There's no perfect therapist. We got here through being here. (laughs) Oh, it's such a funny thing. What would you like to leave our listeners with? There will come a time when that first session or that first mistake or that first hard moment will be a distant memory. It's Um, true. It will take up a lot of space at first and then it will take up less and less space. And then and then you'll sit down like me and you'll think, I don't even remember my very first session. Yep. I can't, I cannot pull it to mind. Me I can remember either. some of them speckling of kind of my first handful of clients. I can see their faces, but I cannot remember my first session. Mm-hmm. So that will happen to you too. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, this is a fun one. Yeah. And let us know what you'd like to hear. You can find us on patreon.com slash edge of the couch if you'd like to hear some of our bonus episodes. You can follow us on Instagram at edge of the couch pod or send us an email at connect at edge of the couch.com. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next time. Hey, edge of the couch listeners. Katie here from the Jane team. If you're new around here or just want a refresher on who we are, we're Jane, the all-in-one practice management software designed to help you, our mental health community, no matter where or how you practice. And our mission is to help the helpers. We're doing that by creating helpful features that you'll be excited to use each day. For our mental health practitioners, this includes Jane's client-friendly online booking, a beautifully designed admin schedule, and payment processing with online and in-person options. You can learn more about Jane's features at jane.app forward slash mental health. And while you're there, book a one-on-one demo with a member of our support team. They'll be happy to show you around and answer any questions you have. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at connect at edgeofthecouch.com to tell us what you think, ask a question, or let us know what type of episode you'd love to hear. You can even send us a voice note for us to play in a future episode. You can support us by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts, sharing the show with a friend, or supporting us on Patreon. Join us next time at The Edge of the Couch. Bye.